Awaking in the middle of a prodigiously tough snore, Scrooge felt that he was restored to consciousness in the nick of time for the special purpose of holding a conference with the second messenger dispatched to him through Jacob Marley's intervention. prepared for almost anything, Scrooge was not by any means prepared for nothing. And consequently, when the bell struck twelve and no shape appeared, he was taken with a violent fit of trembling. Five minutes, ten minutes, a quarter of an hour went by, yet nothing came. All this time he lay upon his bed in a blaze of ruddy light which was more alarming than a dozen ghosts. At last, he began to think that the source and secret of this ghostly light might be in the adjoining room, from whence it seemed to shine. This idea taking full possession of his mind, he got up softly and shuffled in his slippers to the door and opened it. It was his own room. There was no doubt about that. But it had undergone a surprising transformation. The walls and ceiling were so hung with living green that it looked a perfect grove, from every part of which bright, gleaming berries glistened. The crisp leaves of holly, mistletoe, and ivy reflected back the light as if so many little mirrors had been scattered there, and such a mighty blaze went roaring up the chimney, heaped up on the floor to form a kind of throne, where turkeys, geese, great joints of meat, sucking pigs, long wreaths of sausages, mince pies, plum puddings, red-hot chestnuts, cherry-cheeked apples, juicy oranges, luscious pears, immense cakes, and seething bowls of punch that made the chamber dim with their delicious steam. In easy state upon this couch there sat a jolly giant glorious to see, who bore a glowing torch in the shape not unlike Plenty's horn, and held it up high, high up, to shed its light upon Scrooge as he came peeping round the door. Come in, come in, and know me better, man. I am the ghost of Christmas present. Look upon me. You've never seen the like of me before. Never. I've never walked forth with the younger members of my family, meaning my elder brothers born in these later years. I don't think I have. I'm afraid I have not. If you have aught to teach me, let me profit by it. Touch my robe. Scrooge did as he was told. And they stood in the city streets on Christmas morning. The house fronts looked black, and the windows blacker, 
contrasting with the smooth white sheet of snow upon the roofs. The sky was gloomy, and the streets were choked with a dingy mist. There was nothing very cheerful in the climate or the town, and yet was there an air of cheerfulness abroad. For the people who were shoveling away were jovial and full of glee, calling out to one another and now and then exchanging a facetious snowball, laughing heartily if it went right and not less heartily if it went wrong. But soon the steeples called good people all to church and chapel, and away they came, flocking through the streets in their best clothes and with their gayest faces. And at the same time there emerged from scores of by-streets, lanes, and nameless turnings, innumerable people, all carrying all manner of food. The sight of these poor revelers appeared to interest the spirit very much, for he stood with Scrooge beside him and sprinkled drops of liquid on their food from his torch. And it was a very uncommon kind of torch, for once or twice, when there were angry words between people who had jostled each other, he shed a few drops on them, and their good humor was restored. Is there a peculiar flavor in what you sprinkle from your torch? <laughs> there is. My own. Would it apply to any kind of dinner on this day? To any, kindly given. To a poor one most. There are some upon this earth of yours who lay claim to know us, and who do deeds of passion, pride, ill-will, hatred, envy, bigotry, and selfishness in our name, who are strange to us and all our kith and kin, as if they had never lived. Remember that, and charge their doings on themselves, not us. Scrooge promised that he would, and they went on, invisible, as they had been before into the suburbs of the town, ending at Scrooge's Clark's house. For there he went and took Scrooge with him, holding to his robe, and on the threshold of the door the spirit smiled and stopped to bless Bob Cratchit's dwelling with the sprinkling of his torch. Think of that! The ghost of Christmas present blessed his four-roomed house! Then up rose Mrs. Cratchit, and she laid the tablecloth, assisted by Belinda Cratchit, second of her daughters, while Master Peter Cratchit plunged a fork into the saucepan of potatoes, and now two smaller Cratchits came tearing in and raced about the table. What has ever got your precious father, then? And your brother, Tiny Tim? And Martha weren't as late last Christmas Day by half an hour. Here's Martha, Mother. Bless your heart alive, my dear, how late you are. We had a deal of work to finish up last night, and had to clear away this morning, Mother. Well, never mind, so long as you are come. Sit ye down before the fire, my dear, and have a warm Lord no, bless no. ye. there's Father coming. Hi, Martha, hi. Why, where's our Martha? <laughs> Not coming. Not coming? Not coming upon Christmas Day? Surprise, Father. <laughs> Run along now, children. And how did little Tim behave? 
as good as gold and better. Somehow he gets thoughtful sitting by himself so much and thinks the strangest things you've ever heard. He told me coming home that he'd hoped the people saw him in the church and it might be pleasant to them to remember upon Christmas Day who made lame beggars walk and blind men see. Such a bustle ensued. Mrs. Cratchit made the gravy hissing hot. Master Peter mashed the potatoes with incredible vigor. Miss Belinda sweetened up the applesauce. Martha dusted the hot plates. Bob took Tiny Tim beside him in a tiny corner at the table. The two young Cratchits set chairs for everybody. At last, the dishes were set on and grace was said. Blessed the Lord, and these thy gifts, which we are about to receive, from thy bounty, Christ our Lord. Amen. A Merry Christmas to us all, my dears. God bless us. God bless us all. God bless us, everyone. Spirit, Tell me if Tiny Tim will live. I see a vacant seat in the poor chimney corner, and a crutch without an owner carefully preserved. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, the child will die. No, no, oh no, kind spirit, say he will be spared. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, none other of my race will find him here. <laughs> what then? If he be like to die, he had better do it and decrease the surplus population. Will you decide what men shall live and what men shall die? It may be that in the sight of heaven, you are more worthless and less fit to live than millions like this poor man's child. Who shall we drink to? Mr. Scrooge. I'll give you Mr. Scrooge, the founder of the feast. The founder of the feast, indeed. I wish I had him here. I'd give him a piece of my mind to feast upon, and I hope he'd have a good appetite for it. My dear, the children! Christmas Day! It should be Christmas Day, I am sure, on which one drinks the health of such an odious, stingy, hard, unfeeling man as Mr. Scrooge. You know he is, Robert. Nobody knows it better than you do, poor fellow. My dear, Christmas Day! I'll drink his health for your sake, and the days, but not for his. Long life to him, a merry Christmas, and a happy new year. He'll be very merry and very happy, I'll have no doubt. The children drank the toast after her. The mention of Scrooge's name had cast a dark shadow on the party, which was not dispelled for a full five minutes. Though they were not a handsome family, the Cratchits, they were not well-dressed, their shoes were poorly made, their clothes were scanty. Yet they were happy, grateful, and pleased with one another. And when they faded and looked, they looked happier yet in the bright sprinklings of the spirit's torch at parting. Scrooge had his eye upon them, and especially on Tiny Tim until the last. By this time, it was getting dark and snowing pretty heavily. 
and as Scrooge and the spirit went along the streets, the brightness of the roaring fires in kitchens, parlors, and all sorts of rooms was wonderful. It was a great surprise to Scrooge, while thus engaged, to hear a hearty laugh. It was a much greater surprise to Scrooge to recognize it as that of his own nephew, Fred, and to find himself in a bright, dry, gleaming room with the spirit standing smiling at his side and looking at that same nephew with approving affability. When Scrooge's nephew laughed in this way, holding his sides, rolling his head, twisting his face into the most extravagant contortions, Scrooge's niece by marriage laughed as heartily as he, and their assembled friends being not a bit behindhand, roared out lustily. <laughs> he said that Christmas was a humbug as I live. He believed it, too. More shame for him, Fred. Oh, he's a comical old fellow, that's the truth. <laughs> and not so pleasant as he might be. <laughs> However, his offenses carry their own punishment, and I have nothing to say against him. <laughs> I'm sure he's very rich, Fred. At least you always tell me so. <laughs> what of that, my dear? His wealth is of no use to him. He don't do any good with it. He don't make himself comfortable with it. He hasn't the satisfaction of thinking <laughs> that he is ever going to benefit us with it. I have no patience with him. Oh, I have. <laughs> I am sorry for him. <sighs> I couldn't be angry with him if I tried. Who suffers by his ill whims? Himself, always. Here he takes it into his head to dislike us, and he won't come to dine with us. What's the consequence? We don't lose much of a dinner. <laughs> Indeed, I think he loses a very good dinner. Uh, Do go on, Fred. He never finishes what he begins to say. He's such a ridiculous fellow. <laughs> I was only going to say that the consequence of his taking a dislike to us and not making merry with us is, as I think, that he loses some pleasant moments, which could do him no harm. I'm sure he loses pleasanter companions than he can find in his own thoughts, either in his moldy old office or his dusty chambers. <laughs> I mean to give him the same chance every year, whether he likes it or not, for I pity him. He may rail at Christmas till he dies, but he can't help thinking better of it. I defy him if he finds me going there in good temper year after year and saying, Uncle Scrooge, how are you? If it only puts him in the vein to leave his poor clerk 50 pounds, that's something. And I think I shook him yesterday. He has given us plenty of merriment, I am sure, and it would be ungrateful not to drink his health. Here is a glass of mulled wine, ready at our hand at the moment, and I say, Uncle Scrooge! Uncle, Uncle Scrooge! <laughs> A Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to the old man, wherever he is. He wouldn't take it from me, but may he have it nevertheless, Uncle Scrooge. Scrooge had imperceptibly become so gay and light of heart that he would have pledged the unconscious company in return and thanked them in an inaudible speech if the ghost had given him time. But the whole scene passed off in the breath of the last word spoken by his nephew, 
and he and the spirit were again upon their travels. Much they saw, and far they went, and many homes they visited, but always with a happy end. The spirit stood beside sick beds, and they were cheerful, on foreign lands, and they were close at home, by struggling men, and they were patient in their greater hope, by poverty, and it was rich. In almshouse, hospital, and jail, in misery's every refuge, where vain man in his little brief authority had not made fast the door and barred the spirit out, he left his blessing. It was a long night, if it were only a night, but Scrooge had his doubts of this. While Scrooge remained unaltered in his outward form, the ghost grew older, clearly older. Scrooge had observed this change, but never spoke of it until they left a children's Twelfth Night party, when, looking at the spirit as they stood together in an open place, he noticed that its hair was gray. Our spirits' lives so short! My life upon this globe is very brief. It ends tonight. Tonight? The time's drawing near. Forgive me if I am not justified in what I ask, but I see something strange and not belonging to yourself protruding from your skirts. They were a boy and girl. Yellow, meager, ragged, scowling, wolfish, but prostrate too in their humility. Where graceful youth should have filled their features out and touched them with its freshest tints, a stale and shriveled hand like that of age had pinched and twisted them and pulled them into shreds. Scrooge started back, appalled. Having them shown to him in this way, he tried to say they were fine children, but the words choked themselves rather than be parties to a lie of such enormous magnitude. Spirit, are they yours? They are man's, and they cling to me appealing from their fathers. This boy is ignorance. This girl is want. Beware them both in all their degree, but most of all, beware the boy ignorance, for on his brow I see that written which is doom, unless the writing be erased. Deny it. Slander those who tell it ye. Have they no refuge or resource? Are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? Scrooge looked about him for the ghost and saw it not. As the last stroke ceased to vibrate, he remembered the prediction of old Jacob Marley and lifting up his eyes beheld a solemn phantom, draped and hooded, coming like a mist along the ground towards him.